today's episode is brought to you by Craftsy, calling all crafters. Are you ready to dive deep into your favorite crafting projects and learn new techniques along the way? Then it's time to join Craftsy Premium Membership. For only $1.49, you'll receive a full year of access to expert-led tutorials, patterns, and projects in every category you can imagine. With a massive library of resources at your fingertips, you'll be able to create your best work yet and bring your crafting dreams to life. Don't wait. Sign up at CraftsyOffers.com and discover the endless possibilities of Craftsy Premium Membership. Thank you so much, Craftsy. Welcome to episode 252 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. So check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we're talking about writing technical instructions with my guests, Sarah Walworth and Christina McGrath. Christina and Sarah are yarn pattern technical editors, consultants, and coaches in the fiber industry. They have edited over a thousand knitting patterns between them. Since 2020, they have hosted Tech Tip Talk, a monthly broadcast about pattern writing and knitting design, and have written a handbook for knitting designers. They are committed to improving access to industry knowledge, helping designers create patterns that fit every size body well to fully deliver on the promise to the maker. You can find them at techtiptalk.com. Sarah and Christina, welcome. Hi, Abby. Thank you for having us. So pleased to be here, Abby. Thanks for having us. Of course. I'm excited to talk to you. Patterns are really an important part of the industry for sure. And that, you know, that's what tells the consumer what to do with all the materials that they buy. And so many of us, I'm sure, have experienced the poorly written pattern and the frustration that follows. And frankly, it can sometimes make consumers give up um, and think that it's their own fault, that they're bad at this craft or whatever, and they wasted all this time and they wasted all this money. And so We do want to have really good patterns that are well-written and, um, as you said, deliver the promise to the maker. So that's what we're going to get into today. First up, though, how did the two of you meet one another? We met, uh, we were both studying to be technical editors through Jolie Kelly's Learn to Tech Edit course. And she had created a community for us to interact on face. It was on Facebook. Am I right, Christine? I'm trying to remember. No, I think, no we met in the Starship. <laughs> oh, oh, that's right. Okay. Well, the, it was a broader community. Of, exactly. Um, like we were, it was similar all together, sort of like, yeah. We okay. Were, so the Starship was Tara Swigers, um, Tara Swigers right. community. And we had jumped into there from the Learn to Tech Edit course. So we were both working as technical editors, but we didn't know how to run a business. So we knew the editing side very well and we knew what to do there, but we didn't realize that we would have to run a business (laughs) to take on clients and to retain our clients and to have a great, have a great, uh, 
you know, be profitable. So um, we both joined the Starship. And I think, Christina, we were talking about accountability partners. Is that what was happening? Yeah, we were like in a conversation online and talking about the same, having the same problem. And Sarah said, why don't we work together? Let's be partners. And we, so we did, we hooked up that way to be accountable to each other for our work. And we just, we talked all the time about issues that we came up with in our work and everything, you know, and we just did not ever stop doing that. Okay. So it wasn't like you were business partners. You were just accountability partners, business like besties, basically, so that you have somebody else to bounce ideas off of and share. And I think that's a great thing to have in life. Yeah. And, And as you're building. So when you said that you didn't realize that you would need a business, like what kinds of things are you referring to there, Sarah? Well, things like, okay, I've, I've got to, how do people find me? Mm-hmm. Um, I know how to edit and I know how to edit well, but how do I get people to hire me? Um, that requires marketing yourself. That requires creating an online presence that requires uh, showing, being in the places where your clients are going to be so that they know that you're available to be hired. All these things of putting up a virtual storefront. I had no experience of this, even down to the whole, you know, okay, how do I file my taxes? <laughs> um, how do I do a profit and loss statement? Uh, what do, What is my overhead? And all these things were, um, the administration of these were really stressful. We, I think Christine and I both love editing and that part of it was fun. The part of it of running a business was not so fun, mainly because we didn't have the knowledge of how to do it well. Yeah. So there was a lot of like things that if I had known then how it would be best to do, oh, I wish I had been doing it from the beginning. Um, you know, there is the marketing piece because this is a global business, right? Like our business is completely online. And so you have to, you know, like Sarah said, all the things involved in getting yourself known there and communicating with your audience, um, with the people that are going to hire you. But there's also like the, all the things you need to record um, about a job or about um, anything that's going on in your business. You have to record all that data and you're going to need it. And what's the best way to record all of that? Even just the, the, the minutia of like keeping records and keeping track and knowing how best to track your time or like all these things that that you don't think about when you're like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to learn how to be a tech editor. Well, you also need to learn how to be a solo entrepreneur <laughs> um, because it's just us, right? Like we're the whole everything. So yeah, it took a lot of uh, education. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something a lot of people can relate to. You, Most people, many people I find who have small craft-based businesses get into it because they're really good at or really passionate about this particular craft or skill or technique. And the business piece of it comes as a surprise and then a stress, a ball of stress. Um, Although some people come at it the other way, but, um, but once you kind of figure it out, it can be pretty creative. I don't know if you agree with that, but like the business aspects, like marketing, for example, it can be a pretty creative act once you sort of understand what needs to be done. You can apply all of your creative skills to the, running the business as well as doing the the craft or, or you know, having the skill of editing. I think that's where Tech to Talk came from because, you know, we're both working as editors and together we would get 
between us, we get the same questions over and over again. Things would come up in conversations online with uh, designers and other technical editors. And so we decided to use our online platform on Instagram in 2020, while we're all at home in lockdown, to kind of solve some people's problems, just do a little Q&A once a week and uh, start answering some of the questions that we get. We wanted to be helpful. And this part, of it wasn't intentionally marketing ourselves, but it ended up being that right. where we, we're just, we want to be helpful. We want to be out there and say, hey, we have this knowledge and we don't want it to be hidden. We want people to have access to it. So we're going to talk and we're going to answer people's questions. And of course it did happen on, in the context of this is where we are and uh, in the context of a, a social media platform, which is a lot of us use for marketing. Well, and I think it, at first, it, I don't know. I mean, that we sort of discovered how much people aren't getting this information while we were getting these questions. And we were like, geez, people must not like, they must not, they don't know, you know, because it, they wouldn't want to be making mistakes in their patterns or things not working out how they wanted, but didn't know why it wasn't working. So we're like, geez, people don't have this information. So yes, if we could do the live videos, then maybe there'd be more people that have the same question that could benefit from us answering it in that way, instead of just directly with our clients. So um, right. And I think the generosity of sharing that information for free um, really is a great marketing tool. It's interesting. I, I, you know, I think there's some people who would say, well, if you're getting on Instagram live once a week and sharing the answers to the most pressing questions that you get over and over again, then nobody's going to pay you for anything because you already told them the answer. But the re reality is actually the reverse, that when they hear it from you and they see like, okay, you are explaining it in language I can understand. You're not talking down to me. You understand me. You have the same, have encountered the same exact issue that I'm having and you have a solution for me that I can just put into place right now. Um, then people are more likely actually to pay you for what you have. I don't know if you, if that resonates for you. It absolutely does. And I think also, you know, an Instagram live is fleeting. It, it doesn't stick around. Or you have to go find it. So we tried to find a way to create this information that was more long lasting. We moved to YouTube, um, which is a better platform for this That's kind of, um, this kind of broadcast. And then we're like, oh, we wish we could just like hand people this information. Like we wanted to refer link to a book, link to a blog, link to anything else where this information was and there wasn't anything. So but in then, an organized way, you know, right. Sarah and I learned all of this stuff partly by finding these things online or in books and from our own personal experience and in working with patterns and seeing right. the things that were happening. So a lot, you know, there's stuff that's out there and then there's stuff that we learned and knew. Um, and there's no, we don't feel there's any benefit to um, like keeping information from people who can use it um, if we know it, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's just not, how, how we think is a beneficial to our industry at all. So uh, having the, the information in this organized way and um, an accessible way where you're not just 
grasping at straws on the internet and not sure what you're finding. Or is really sure what that we were... what you're finding is accurate. And that's right. what people got fed a lot of misinformation. And so yeah. we had to kind of bust some myths like, yeah, no, that doesn't actually work. Um, mm-hmm. And so we dis- we wanted to hand people a book. So we said, well, let's write a book. So it, um, let's let's go back really briefly to why is YouTube a better um, platform for these video informative videos than Instagram? Oh, Sarah, go! Oh, there's gosh. so many good reasons. <laughs> there's so many good reasons. Um, in, we found on Instagram sometimes our lives wouldn't save. Um, the tech is bad. We wouldn't see it. People couldn't see it. You'd have to go and do multiple clicks instead of going to one central place, a channel where things can be organized by playlists, things can be organized by topics. People can uh, do a search within our own channel. There's no search function in Instagram. And Instagram's unreliable. It's not a good way to get deliver information, at least not in a way that you'll find it again, like Sarah said. So for something that we want to be long lasting, where people can refer back to. So we encourage our audience, hey, you're working on something related to sizing. Go type in your your part of your question or the topic into our search bar on, on our website or on YouTube to find a spot where we talk about it. So YouTube also has created the tech to do automatic chapters, which mm-hmm. are topic references where you talk about certain things within each within the video itself and that becomes more of the search engine um if you want to have information available long term where it's timeless it's not uh something that's you know going to disappear in 24 hours i think that's it's a great platform for that that's really really good tips um so thank you for that and um you mentioned that you were scouring you know, the bookstore shelves for a book that did this certain thing that, you know, and it and it wasn't there. And I think that that, at least in my experience, having written books too, um, is a great sign that you should write a book on that topic. In other words, if you're like at Barnes and Noble and you're like, I need a book about this topic and you go through, you know, whatever the knitting section, you get there and you look through every book, And then you go on Amazon and you look for every book and the book that you are looking for either was written in 1965 and has never been updated, which was my, in my case, or it has never been written, you know? And so, as you said, people are sort of going on Google and finding bits and pieces of information here and there. So um, I don't know if you, that resonates for you as well, but like, I feel like that is a great sign that you have a really good book. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of knitting design books out there, right? Cause I mean, our book is useful for, I think all kinds of tech uh, pattern writing, but our knowledge is specifically in knitting and there's a lot of knitting design books there. Uh, they're not all with updated rules on sizing or perspectives and not all lot about pattern writing itself, you know, how to translate this design into a pattern that somebody can use and actually get what you want them to get. So this just, it's just not there. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. So there were books out there, but not exactly what you were hoping to find. 
So within the design process for most yarn patterns is there, the designer creates this design, but then has to turn it into technical language that the makers can use to create, to reproduce the design. And the design process is covered in multitude of books. There's, you know, you, you can find those for creating any number of sweaters, hats, you know, mitts, you know, I can think of in my head, maybe three, three or four for knitting specifically, but there's plenty for crochet too. But then you have to turn it into something that the makers can make and can understand. And translating this into this technical, highly technical language is complicated and it isn't straightforward. And that is what we as technical editors focus on to help designers create patterns that are excellent is we help them find the ways to make it clear and concise and um, consistent with language that the makers can trust. Um, of course, alleviating errors. So this part, this part of that design process comes after the design is made. Um, and that's what our handbook really refers to is not the design itself, the designing, but the creating the pattern. I mean, I think even if you know that a pattern needs to include gauge information, sizing information, the tools that you need and the instructions, even if you know these are the things that need to be in a pattern, what's the best way to present that information so that it's not going to be confusing? How do you make sure that what you're presenting is accurate and the knitter is going to understand and have what they need? It's easy. It's really easy, even in a simple pattern. It doesn't have to even be something complicated. It's easy to get lost and confused in getting that done so that the knitter is then confused and isn't going to be able to complete it successfully. So, right. This um, is a whole genre of technical writing that yeah. requires a whole new skill set. So, the book we should say is called The Knitting Pattern Writing Handbook. So, if people want to go check it out, that is the name of it, The Knitting Pattern Writing Handbook, and um it's published by Hachette. I hope I'm saying that right. Story. Yeah, or story, which yeah. is owned by Hachette. Okay. So Story Publishing, they're based out in Western Mass. They're awesome. One of the things I love about Story is that their books don't go out of print, which is an amazing aspect of that publisher that is unique. Um, if any of you have published craft books, you know that often they do go out of print, maybe five, six years after publication. But Story keeps all of their books in their back catalog and they keep them uh, available. And um, they're great also at publishing reference books, which I find in today's sort of situation with so much information online, especially patterns available online, that the kind of books that we're holding on to and never, you know, taking to the thrift shop or whatever, or donating to the library are those reference books. So, so talk a little bit about how you just, I mean, I know you decided together to make this book, but how you found story and like, how does it work when you have a co-author? Cause I think a lot of people, they write a book by themselves, you know, like they write a pattern yeah. book and that's it. It's their book. But the two of you did this together. So that's kind of a unique situation. And um, I'd love to hear more about sort of how the book came about. I want to take a minute now to talk with our sponsor, Craftsy. And here is a message from Craftsy. At Craftsy, we know making. Whether you're new to the handmade life or looking to advance your skills, we have classes for all maker levels and interests. From knitting and sewing to quilting and embroidery, cooking, baking, paper crafts, and more, 
Craftsy's instructors guide and encourage you, empowering you to turn ideas into realities. And they have an exclusive offer for Craft Industry Alliance podcast listeners. Right now, you can get a whole year of their premium membership for only $1.49. Visit CraftsyOffers.com to sign up and the discount will automatically be applied at checkout. For only $1.49, you'll get a full year of access to over 2,000 premium full-length classes. Take your craft to new levels in the new year. If you're an absolute beginner, Craftsy instructors help build strong foundations as they teach, setting you up for success and helping you fix mistakes as you go. Their enthusiasm and strong teaching style make learning accessible to all. If you're an experience maker, make the resolution to improve your skills in the upcoming year. Craftsy's for you too. From perfecting your fondant skills to tackling complex stitches, from eye-catching garden design to next steps in sourdough, Craftsy has advanced classes in all crafts from instructors who are experts in their field. With over 2,000 classes, including downloadable patterns and recipes, Craftsy has a class and a craft for everyone. Visit CraftsyOffers.com today and get a year of Craftsy premium membership for just $1.49. Don't miss out on 99% off for the entire year. Start turning ideas into projects you can be proud of. Get this exclusive offer at CraftsyOffers.com. Thank you so much, Craftsy. And now back to the show. We well, didn't first, follow the rules. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Christina. Well, there's just, there's a lot of ways to make a chocolate cake, right? So we were, we interviewed a bunch of other craft authors that we knew in knitting and wanted to ask them their perspective, some that had self-published and some that had gone with traditional publishing, what the benefits and drawbacks were of each approach. Because we weren't really sure what was going to be um, the best thing for us to do. And also you have to remember that it's like there's knitting um, and then there's like knitting designers and then there's like design and there's pattern writing. I mean, our book is very like niche, 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 you know, it is. So we weren't niche, really yeah. sure if we could, if some, if, if it would be of interest to somebody. So we did all these interviews with these authors um, and we decided to go with the publisher because just the, the amount of skills and, um, jobs that you need to be great at to put out what we wanted to be out out there and how good we wanted it to be. Just, we don't have all those, like, we're not all those things. Right. Um, and we submitted proposals to several publishers and, um, a couple we, responses we got, we weren't very happy with, but we've been really happy with the story. We, yeah. we submitted to, we basically, didn't follow the rules. Right. <laughs> we went one weekend and we went at, to every publisher we could find. We went on to our bookshelf and we looked at all the publishers. Yep. Of Smart. The that is a shelves. great way to do it. Yeah. That's and then we, we went to their websites and saw if we had to have an agent. We don't have an agent. Okay. Yep. Yep. And so then we literally did an online. We wrote a, an email with, we did a proposal in Canva <laughs> And uh, we sent it out to every single publisher. We made a list and we eventually heard back from two very serious offers, met in person with Deborah Balmuth of Story. Mm -hmm. 
and knew, oh, we were just head over heels excited to work. And Deborah has been on this podcast. So if anyone wants to sort of get to know more about her, um, you can go back in the archives and find that interview. Mainly, it was super exciting to have that connection with someone who saw the value in our work, saw that there needed to be this long-term reference um, public publication that it's a book that someone would have and refer to over and over again. It wouldn't be a flash in the pan. It would be a lasting value for as long as it needs to be available. So um, it was great to have that connection and have someone else have the same vision we did. Well, in the whole way that um, just sort of all of Stories books, you know, the things they care about, the things they publish are really in line with what what we're trying to say too. And she understood what we were trying to say. And she understood the things about what we were saying that were important because, you know, in that editing process, we, we had to like stick to our guns on some stuff, you know? Absolutely. You do have to be assertive, but I love your approach in a lot of ways. One, just like interviewing people you knew who published books, like that was a smart way to go. And then pulling all the books off your bookshelf, like even going to the store and, you know, just being like, this one is the kind that I like. Who's the publisher? You know, you have to kind of get to know this whole other set of information. Um, and then not being afraid to just reach out and reach out to a whole lot of them at once. I think that that's actually really smart. Um, and in my experience, you don't need an agent. I mean, you can have an agent if you want to, and and there's a lot of reasons to have one, but craft publishers in general don't really require one, even if they sometimes say on their website that that they do. <laughs> so, and you know, just to come back a little bit to working together, we have been part of something fantastic since we started take, learning how to tech edit, and that is a community. <laughs> the community in the tech technical editor world and also reaching out into the knitting designers, we value community over competition to the nth degree. And I think that's why it was like the first thought we had was, okay, who else has done this? And everyone was willing to talk with us. They were thrilled to spend an hour chatting with us about their experience of either self-publishing or working with a publisher. And we got some incredible advice. And I feel like we would not be where we are without community, without this group of people who are willing to give us their, their insight and their experience. And we're happy to pass on our experience to other people for the same reason. It's so we can all succeed. We can all get better at what we're doing. Right, exactly. And I'd love to take a step back now and talk about the journeys that each of you took to get into doing this, right? Because we did agree that this is quite a niche topic. It is not something that, you know, most people in elementary school, middle school, high school are like, here's what I want to do, you know, <laughs> um, no. because they just don't even know like that it's a thing, right? So, no. um, so there's definitely a journey that led here. So Christina, we'll start with you. What was your like education background, job experience, et cetera? And how did the the winding path lead to knitting technical editing? So um, I went to high school and went to college. Um, I uh, studied theater, philosophy, uh, literature. Um, I really enjoyed writing always. I still really enjoy writing and um, did really well at that. You know, always kind of had these like 
like really good at spelling, you know, really good at, at editing other people's stuff, you know, love proofreading, love reading, but never really found a way to use that, those skills in a, in a job, just like, oh, I'm a good speller. Wow. You know, just like, you know, so just these little things. Um, and, um, after, after, after college, I worked in theaters for a little while. And then when I started having a family that just didn't work, like it just didn't, I wasn't able to, the way I wanted to do things, do both. So I was looking for part-time work and I did have, um, a couple really great part-time jobs, but the last job I had, the, um, she closed. And after that, I'd really always wanted to work from home, but never found a good way to do that. It's like, okay, well, you can sell Mary Kay or, you know, know, and, and, and I did look into um, things like editing or things I could do on the computer, but there wasn't anything that like, and I think Sarah can speak to this too. There wasn't anything that fit, you know, that I had would thought I would be good at as far as that, like the subjects and stuff. So I just was kind of floundering. And um, when I learned about tech editing, knitting patterns, like while I was on Instagram, I think I saw Jolie say something and learned about it that way. I was just like, hold on, (laughs) you know, (laughs) because at this point I'd been knitting for over 10 years and I was totally obsessed with it as one can get. And, um, you know, I loved I, I love working in, in patterns. I love, love patterns and know them really well. So I felt like, oh, I can totally do this. I know patterns really well. And she had this course on how to learn things you needed to know to be a technical editor editing patterns. And I just, yeah, I couldn't believe it. It was like, it was made for me. I jumped right in. Okay. Right. All right. So interesting. Um, and, and that it gave you that work from home, um, job. Well, it was exciting to find, it was exciting to find something that I could use now all these skills for that I hadn't found a way to do that from home right. yet. You know, like I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Okay. All right. And Sarah, what about you? I know you worked as an editor mm-hmm. in a different industry. Prior. Right. So I actually found Jolie's course. I I also was a very obsessed knitter. And I came <laughs> from a family that um, my grandmother and my mother both um seamstresses is the word that we used to use. <laughs> yeah, my grandmother. Uh, professional sewists. Um, and so I knew garments really well. And I had always made my own clothes and made clothes for other people, had done some alterations for money and stuff like that. And so when I got into knitting, I just kind of translated all those skills into knitting, got super obsessed with learning all the things in knitting reading all the books that nobody really ever reads. I would read them cover to cover um, for fun, including like, you know, the history of knitting and all that. And at the same time I was work, I was homeschooling my children, but having my eye on what am I going to do when they graduate? And so I started taking copy editing, uh, copy editing certification coursework uh, through UCSD. And as I got to the end of that course, I was like, I do not want to edit another medical white page. I am going to die <laughs> if, I, if this is how I have to spend the rest of my 25, 30 plus year career <laughs> is in these kinds of texts. This does not light any fires for me at all. So when I ran across Julie's course about knitting technical editing, and she used the word that it's copy editing for knitting patterns, which is, you know, sort of true. I literally jumped around my kitchen. 
I was like, <laughs> no way I can do bring all my skills that I have my certification, you know, everything, my certificate, everything, my whole history of working in language in English and garments and fabrication. And I can put it into knitting and, you know, I always say the angels sang and, you know, the sunshine, it was, it was a beautiful day to realize I did not hesitate one minute to get into it. And, you know, as we, Christina and I both can attest, you learn the skill, but it doesn't like, you're like, okay, this is great. This is for me, but now you got to get really good at it. And there's a, there's a, there's a learning curve to becoming a really good technical editor. Um, You're learning on the job and you're learning through sometimes making really hard mistakes that don't feel good. Um, And I think we both, through the editing of over a thousand patterns that we've done together, I think that's where we kind of honed our knowledge and also put in some, some systems to be even better at what we do. And that's not something you can learn. That's something that you have to figure out what works best for you. Um, so I guess that kind of answers that question. How yeah. did we get here? How did yeah. we get I think, here? I, think, I mean, I think there, um, th- that is, that is it right. And putting systems in place and learning the information, but there's something, um, that is also important that honestly, I don't think we talk about uh, uh, that. We talk about a lot, maybe, but Sarah and I both also feel, um, a sense of responsibility, um, to the knitter for the patterns that we're editing, you know, uh, you're checking everything that it's correct. And that, you know, the math works out, whatever, but you also want to make sure that the pattern produces something that is honest to the knitter and going to give them a good a good product. Right. And that's where you get into thinking about what is your role as a tech editor? Um, as far as like, uh, grading or sizing or all those kinds of things. Um, it's, you know, that's important too. So no, I don't know. Um, you know, that's just a perspective that we have. There's a responsibility that we feel as editors to the knitter. And at the same time, you're coupled, coupled with, you, you know, this person has hired you, this designer or this publisher, and you are responsible to, you're kind of like this go-between where you're answering right. to the maker, but you're also have to be very encouraging and considerate to mm-hmm. the designer's intention and the fact they may not know that their design eases off in all the sizes. How do I convey that information in a way that's collaborative and helpful and not demeaning or patronizing um, because that's not the editor's job. We're here to be the number one fan of the designer, the cheerleaders on the one hand, but on the other hand, we do go to bat for the maker. Like, Hey, this trip, this paragraph tripped me up. I have no idea what this means. What are you referring to here? And we're doing, so our queries and our comments to the designer often are, Hey, this doesn't make sense to me. If I were knitting this, I would be confused. Um, and it's a different, it's a, a really interesting position to be in. And it takes some people skills and some communication skills that we really had to develop. For sure. And that's another one of those things, like, you know, always having really good people skills totally came in handy. And when I found out about this job, I didn't even think about that, but it's totally been a huge piece of it. 
you know, how can we make this great thing for the maker that's what is honest for them in a way that feels honest to you and is in a way that feels like something that is what you would, what you would, you know, what you're, what you mean, what you're trying to do. And Christina, so your business is really a consulting business basically, right? So people can hire or like a, yeah, it's a tech editor for hire, correct? Like people can hire you to edit their patterns or you can help them to sort of develop their, their business one-on-one or that sort of thing. So it's to just describe like your, your own sort of separate business. So I'm doing um, very little tech editing. Okay. Um, so I'm, I offer copy editing, proofreading and, um, style editing, like to help you get your patterns consistent across your whole library style-wise develop, develop your style, um, and consulting for that. I also offer consulting to make sure um, that your patterns are what you want them to be. And as far as the grading, um, but I don't offer like great, I don't grade patterns and I'm tech editing less. So you're right that it's, um, more consulting based and that's mostly what I'm doing. Um, yep. Okay. She writes writes a great sub stack. (laughs) Yeah. So like, I really enjoy, I really enjoy writing. And so a big piece, my favorite part and a big piece of it is the sub stack. So I put that, I put out a new article every week and there's, there's a bigger, more personal take on those topics once a month for paid subscribers. And I'm really, I really enjoy the writing a lot. And I love sub stack. So tell us the name of your sub stack, just so people can find it. Oh, if you want happy knitters, that's the name. If you want happy knitters. Oh my gosh. I love that name. That is a great name. Okay. That's like, Um, like since I started editing, it's been my favorite, it's been my thing. It's like my goal. I'm not happy. Yeah, that's great. Okay. So, um, and then, um, Sarah, you, um, have like a whole community that you Mm -hmm. run of people who are building tech editing, tech editing businesses. So how did you get to that stage? And, And what is that? Well, like we've mentioned before, Julie Kelly, uh, for 10 years, ran Learn to Tech Edit Knitting. Um, And in 2021, she wanted to step out into something else, a different, completely different uh, business. And she asked me if I would like to purchase the Tech Editor Hub, which was the business since 2018 she'd been running to uh, host this course. And I said, yes, because I had all these ideas for courses and things that I wanted to do and didn't have any place to put them. And I didn't want to compete with her. I didn't want to start something that would be a competition to what she was doing since it had provided so much for me. So when she asked me to buy it, I jumped in. And since uh, 2021, I've been the owner of the Tech Editor Hub, which is a place where nerdy makers... Yarn, yarny people can come and learn how to be a technical editor for yarn patterns, both knitting and crochet, and can also join a vibrant community of other editors to get help um, increasing their skills and learning how to run a business that is uh, the best for them in their lifestyle and also for um, retaining and gaining clients. Um, I have more ideas and more things that I'm going to be doing there. Um, But for right now, that's where we're at. Um, I also do provide individual coaching one-on-one to knitwear designers for grading patterns. So learning how to size a pattern, working one-on-one with me, where you come away with, um, if you have a design, I'll teach you how to grade it. And you'll come away with a system to grade your future patterns. 
Okay. And I feel like, um, first of all, I'm really glad that Jolie like sold the business instead of just closing it, because I do feel like in the crafts industry, from my vantage point too often, businesses like hers that are really valuable to a lot of people, when that owner is ready to move on for whatever, all sorts of reasons in life, um, just close. And that's too bad. A lot of times, number one, because it's a great asset to the, to the industry. And number two, because they've built a lot of value and it, and it could be worth something if, if they try to sell. So was that, um, scary or like from a financial point of view from like, I mean, I I've bought out a business partner and even that whole process, there was a lot of negotiation and there was like, you know, a, a financial plan that had to be, a whole lot of stuff had to happen in order to make that um, come true. So I don't know whether for you as the buyer, you know, it doesn't sound like you'd owned, you're not a serial entrepreneur, you hadn't owned no. businesses in the past. So, <laughs> so like, I think some people might think, oh gosh, like I don't have the money to buy a business. What am I even talking about? Like, how, so maybe um, demystify the process of, of buying a business. Well, I think first of all, I had no hesitation because of how much I trusted Jolie. Um, she and I had a real connection and a collaboration already together where I helped her out with some things. She helped me out with some things. We had a professional relationship that was very trustworthy. So I knew that I could be very open with her about where I was at and what I could do. And so our, neg our negotiations financially were very simple. Um, and it was very straightforward for me. Um, and I had uh, the resources to do it uh, incrementally. So I didn't have to pay her out in one lump sum. And I think do people it. don't realize yeah. that. Like they, there can be kind of like, you know, um, I don't know, buying a house or something, a down yes. payment right. that you make up front. That could be maybe reasonable, it might be a little bit of a stretch, but like reasonable for you. And then there's right. like a payment plan and it can take years for that payment plan to be fully completed. And you can use the profits of the business to pay, to pay the for that. Plan. And you can take yes. a loan for the down payment if you need a loan. So there's And that's exactly what I did. Yes. So I took out a loan for it and then paid off over time. Um, and you know, the biggest step for me, Abby, was I had been running a service-based business mm. for what if you you know more than five years. And it's a completely different business model than selling a product, launching products, and creating a community. Um, so <laughs> create, you know, I didn't know how to do all that. So walking into that business, there there was a lot of uh challenges and discomfort. And part of the negotiation and the offer that Jolie made was she was going to walk me through for the first six months exactly what she did to create a lasting business because her business had been going for 10 years. That's a long time in our industry. Yes. And so she didn't just say, here you go, hand it over to me. Now you're high and dry and you got to figure it out. Right. So this was a part of it again, community over competition, where she held my hand for the first six months. Months um, in exchange for some of the 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 value of the business, um, and that was un unbelievably helpful. Was to not have to jump into a completely different business model 
completely different way of running a business with not having any education at all on how to do it. And okay, so when it comes to writing this book together, we're going to swoop back over to that topic. Um, How did you divide up the work? Did you write one chapter, Christina, and then... (laughs) Sarah wrote the alternating oh, chapters gosh. or no, no, you no. guys just have one massive Google doc and you were just in there all day long or like, how did you oh, track gosh. what needed to get done? Who needed to get it done by, you know, all of that stuff. Because I do think when you're collaborating on a manuscript, there's gotta be some organizational systems that can help. Maybe in retrospect, you're like, we should have done this, but yeah. I think we might be a little, I mean, you can maybe, Sarah's (laughs) so good at organizing thoughts better than me, but we really did maybe be a little different than maybe people do, but we really did this together. I mean, incredibly enmeshed, you know, um, in how we um, did the writing um, and, uh, and keeping, um, keeping our voice consistent and doing the, doing the writing. That was kind of our goal was for, you know, we both are very individuals and in our live talks about technical editing and knitting design, we both have unique perspectives. So when we put together this manuscript, we didn't want it to be distinct, like, oh, this paragraph was written by Christina. And then, oh, this paragraph was written by Sarah. We wanted to be one voice, kind of meld our voices together. And that was a challenge. Um, The way that we did it structurally was we (laughs) drafted everything. And then we sent it back and forth in Dropbox, editing it and making changes. um, And it it was a challenge to our friendship. <laughs> it was a challenge to our family life. Um, we spent a lot of time on Zoom, hashing out paragraphs. Well, what about? What do you think about this? Well, I don't agree with this, or this has to be different, or we left out this. Um, and this was all done. I will tell you before we found a publisher. Right. So we actually had a full draft manuscript to send to our publisher once they agreed to work with us and gave us a contract. Um, it was, so then we had to go through the whole process of being edited afterwards. Um, but writing together was incredibly challenging personally. I think, I don't know, Christina, do we grow a little bit as people? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think we've learned a lot about what it really is to work with another person on something like this. It's, and it's kind of more than writing the book, right? We've got this tech tip talk. So we've got the broadcast and um, we have a Patreon and we have the book. So there's there's a lot we're doing together and and that we, we have a lot of respect for each other and a lot of respect for um, how the other person, how we want to together um, portray something or represent ourselves or whatever. So we are careful to make sure that um, we're we're getting together on what we're doing. We went to the videos like when we had this is what we want to say. These are the topics we need to cover. How do we want to structure it? And then we like, OK, what do we say about that? What do we think about that? And things that we that would come up and say, oh, well, did we say that? Maybe we need to say that, too. 
Um, and even far into this process, like even after we went, we were with a publisher now, we were being edited professionally. We'd say, well, wait a minute, maybe we need to say this, uh, you know, um, and we'd get feedback. We had an expert reader who gave us feedback on the manuscript also that the publisher worked with um, and had comments about some things. And we were like, whoa, you know, that's not what we're trying to say. So maybe we need to say more. If we're not clear in why this is so important that then maybe we need to say more. So it did, the manuscript grew, we grew. I think in one interview we did maybe a year ago, Sarah said something like, she said, yeah, if you're going to write a book with someone, you need to adore that person. (laughs) Yeah, it's really true. It's a test. It's a test. It's a test of every part of your friendship because um, you, you know, if I said something and it would rub Christina the wrong way and she'd have to come back and say, no, Sarah, that was not okay. And we got to look <laughs> at it this way. And then there, it was truly a partnership in the sense that we had to learn how to work together, concede, do things in a way that supported the other person's viewpoint, maybe let my viewpoint go, um, or maybe push a little bit harder. There, there was a real back and forth with, and I think it tested our friendship more than anything. <laughs> well, and professionally, yeah. I think we learned a lot from each other in this process. Sure. You know, we've each got really um, different skills in some of our, in some of how we, how we approach our work and how we even, how we edit. So I think we learned from each other and at all it just made the book better. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so, and it, it sounds like, Um, since you did decide to go with a traditional publisher rather than to self-publish, that you did reap some benefits there. I'm hearing about an expert reader and being edited and things like that, which you could do if you self-publish, but you would have to hire those folks separately. Um, But here, Story was providing some of these um, services to your manuscript, which by the way, just to be clear, you don't have to write a whole manuscript before you pitch nope. it. <laughs> no, um, no, we did it that way. <laughs> no, Some people do that, but you do not need to do that. You just no. need an idea. Um, but anyway, so so um, so did you find in the end that you were grateful for the collaboration is what it really is between yeah. author yes. and publisher? 100%. It was the Absolutely. right decision for us. Um, I'm really glad we did not self-publish. Uh, just even like... Th- this, you know, doing the publicity part that we're doing now. Yeah. Uh, you know, we say, Hey, we'd really like this. We'd love some bookmarks or some book plates. And they're like, yeah, no problem. And they go, go to the publicity department and they create it for us. Uh, we flat out don't have the ability to do the publicity they can do or the reach that they can do. Like we just don't, we obviously don't have that. Right. But even just all the various levels of editing that the book went through. It went through how, I don't know, six or seven different levels of edits uh, that I don't think was, if we had self-published, I think that we, uh, it would have gone that far. We stress. I think we, I think we were a little, we had lots of passes. Um, I think that us being editors ourselves, I was going to say made this process <laughs> a little more maybe precious than it would have otherwise been because we we don't it's let like, stuff, we don't let stuff go we don't right let it's go. like it's like the dentist going to the dentist or something you know what I mean so but yeah. here, the payoff for us is that we didn't have to do all these things but we also did not have to put in the monetary upfront right um, to pay for the publication and all the processes around it but that also means that you know, we got an advance 
to create the work, but then we don't get any royalties until the uh, the book sells for a certain number. Um, so that collaboration with the publisher is something we were willing to do. Like you don't make as much money, you make less being published through a publisher. But for us, we didn't. It was so worth it to not have to do the learn and get good at all the jobs of like even just like making an Amazon author page or posting in the various places where, you know, contacting distributors. We didn't have to do any of that. Um, so it, that to us was worth every bit of you know the the agreement that we did. Right. And I, that's why I feel like it's great to think of a book deal as a collaboration um, because both sides bring something really valuable to the table. And in this situation, um, the publisher is taking on all the financial risk up front, which right. is huge, um, as well as lending all sorts of expertise you know, along the way, um, which includes after the publication of the book. Um, and, and the author is also providing, obviously, a whole lot of value too. Um, and, and you're sharing in the profits. So, you know, I think that that's a way to look at it, especially today when self-publishing is robust and, you know, is no longer sort of secondary, really, especially in craft to working with um, an established publisher. It's like they're two equal choices, but they are not the same. And the, our choice to go with a publisher was very um, distinct and thought thought out. We did not make that decision lightly, and it isn't for everybody. There are a lot of people who very well could do self publishing and do it fan and be successful. Sure. It just wasn't it just wasn't for us, but it definitely is a valuable option. Right. Okay. So, is there anything before we get to your recommendations, which we're going to get to in a moment? <laughs> is there anything about this book or? Um, tech editing in general that I didn't ask about that is important and you want to make sure that we share? I think there's something about technical editors that people Mm. need to realize is that it's a very niche um, job. However, any we have all kinds of different people that become technical editors. You don't have to be like us that were editors before or wordy people that love words or... There are people who become who are accountants or people who uh, are very mathy that come into it. Um, we are a particular type of person. So if technical editing sounds like, oh, that sounds like something I would like to do, um, realize it doesn't have to be the way that we came into it. Anybody can become a technical editor if they have the, they can bring all their skills into the job to become the technical editor that matches you because it comes your person. Um, your person becomes how you market yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway. Right. I think what's, I think things that are important and like what Sarah's saying are a particular type of person isn't necessarily that you're really mathy or that you're really good at spelling. I'm not mathy. <laughs> Did a lot of math and tech editing though, right? Like you need to know the math of a knitting pattern. You don't need to know, you know, like, so what is important is, um, knowing knitting patterns, being comfortable reading knitting pattern uh, or crochet patterns or sewing patterns, right? Knowing that medium you're working in is more important than those other yes. things. Um, being comfortable with that work and being comfortable with what is going to be produced and having integrity about your work is really important. 
Um, I think that's really important to tech editing. Obviously, I feel passionately about the patterns that are getting um, put out there that people are spending money on and going to then spend many, many, many hours and money on yarn. Um, It's important that those be good. And so you need to have a little piece of that in your work. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So let's get to your recommendations. Um, and I love, by the way, that you gave us a combined bio and a combined list of recommendations. <laughs> so that that's, that just is a testament to the fact that your friendship did survive through we this survived. <laughs> trying process. Because usually when I have two guests, I get two bios and two lists. So I really appreciate that this it's all combined and you have three things to recommend. The first one is knitting barber cords. So tell us about that. Ooh, Christina, this is all you. Okay. I didn't always have an interchangeable needle set. It's not something I ever had. So people would be like, oh, just put it on extra needles. And then if you put on extra, if you put your stitches on extra needles, if you need to take them off the, you know, you want to take them off, all the stitches have to be held on something. Then you have all these needles. Listen, no. So I always used waist (laughs) yarn, put the stitches on waist yarn, put the stitches on waist yarn, getting stitches off of waist yarn sucks. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> it's not fun. So the knitting barber cords eliminate this frustration because they're smooth. The stitches go on the smooth silicone cord and it's much easier to get the stitches on and off for when you have to put them on waist yarn. Okay. Excellent. And then um, these, I also love, by the way, this is like um, something I love too and have a whole lot of, which are Palomino Blackwing Pencils. Which, oh by the way, gosh. are the best pencils ever. Yes. You know what's crazy is how much Christina and I are nerds about pencils. And we didn't <laughs> know it when we first became friends and then colleagues. Is it, It's like, oh, you like pencils too? And we saw each other using them in one of our meetings. And it was like, oh, so we've sent them back and forth to each other. (laughs) We've shared our favorite pencils with each other, mailed them to each other. That's how this all came to be. The the pencil that Sarah uses for editing is specific. She sent me some. The Palomino Blackwings that I use, I sent her some. Like we had this pencil obsession that predated any editing work we've ever done. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So if you look at the cover of our book, there's a Palomino Blackwing pencil on the cover of our book because it was in the references that we gave to the publisher. Yeah, we're obsessed with them. They're just better. Yes, just they better. are better. They're softer. The eraser's better. They're just better. So just if better. you have never seen one, they're a little bit of a, an investment for a pencil. Yeah, and it's hard to go back, Abby. You know, like if, you're to, if you're not <laughs> able I, to make that investment and you got to grab the Ticonderoga in the drawer, you're like, you're bumming. It's hard no, to go and back. You, you will not want your family members to steal them from you. No, so, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, Okay. And then your final one, and we've had many guests recommend this one over the years. It's very popular and enduring, which is The Artist Way by Julia Cameron. And that's all me. I, I have found in the last two years that taking time every morning to write three pages of morning pages, just to get it out, whatever it is that's on the mind allows me to become better at my work, better at writing, better at creating. It's like, just like you're flushing out all the stuff in the morning. This book was life-changing for me because it showed me that although I'm working in a technical area of the Mm -hmm. industry, 
I am an artist and I'm a creator. Primarily and foremost, I'm a fiber artist, even though what I work on is, you know, the technical side and the, the pages of the written work. The fact of the matter is, is all of us, if we are working with yarn, fabric, all of these things to you, textiles, we are artists. And it just allowed me to kind of lean into and and just envelop that persona. Um, and it's one of those books that you can go through over and over and over and over again. It doesn't lose its ability to take you higher and higher into your craft and into your personal well-being. And those are the best kinds of books. Those are the yes. books that we never get rid of. So um, that that is just something to sort of keep in the back of your mind. Like these are the books that we we hang on to and cherish. Um, and hopefully your book will be one of those. So again, it's called the Knitting Pattern Writing Handbook, and people should. Definitely check it out. And Sarah and Christina, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. It was great talking with you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Abby. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was brought to you by Craftsy. Calling all crafters. Are you ready to dive deep into your favorite crafting projects and learn new techniques along the way? then it's time to join Craftsy Premium Membership. For only $1.49, you'll receive a full year of access to expert-led tutorials, patterns, and projects in every category you can imagine. With a massive library of resources at your fingertips, you'll be able to create your best work yet and bring your crafting dreams to life. Don't wait. Sign up now at CraftsyOffers.com and discover the endless possibilities of Craftsy Premium Membership. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.